Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Worst Best Picture Oscar winner. That's right. Don't worry, everyone. We got this. Podcasts should have a theme song. Podcasts should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm. You know what? You're right. We got this. And now, please welcome, presenting the award for this episode's guest, Hal Lublin and Mark Gagliardi. (laughs) In a year filled with thrills, spills, and chills, we're honored to be discussing the worst films to win Best Picture at the Oscars. Isn't that right, Mark? That's right, Hal. And who's going to join us? We're about to find out. This envelope will let us know. And the nominee for this week's guest on We Got This with Mark and Hal is Craig Kukowski. And the winner of guest for this week's episode of We Got This with Mark and Hal is Craig Craig Kukowski. Oh, oh my God. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me, Helen Mirren. Uh... Oh, what, what an honor. Oh, it's been so long. Ah, uh, it's been so long since I was on We Got This. Was it the best sketch show debacle that made them not invite <laughs> me back for a while? It may have been, but I, I had a good feeling knowing I was the only nominee in this category. Uh, but still I was sweating it out a bit. Uh, this is for you, mom. Uh, who I watch the Oscars with uh, every year since 1977. Oh, come on. Come on. I just started. Uh, Okay. Well, it's just, uh, it's a pleasure to be on We Got This, talking about movies, even if they are bad movies. Hi, Craig. Hey, Craig. Hi, friends. Thanks for being (laughs) here, buddy. What an honor. Well, I mean, for... Two reasons I'm the perfect guest for this episode. Yes, because I'm an Oscars fan Mm -hmm. to the point of being perhaps an Oscars apologist. Oh, and uh, and we may get into that. I I I find myself defending the honor of the Oscars probably more than they deserve to have their honor defended. And also, I like to rank things. (laughs) That's true. We we do know this well about you. Yeah. For yeah. Craig's list. When do you think the Oscars started to lose credibility with people? If you think that it's, you mentioned being an apologist and I've noted as I've gotten older, like when I was a kid, I was like, whatever the best picture Oscar winner is, that obviously is the movie of the year. And then I don't know. Is it, was it the campaigns happening? Was it the advent of the Oscar season being a thing and then it becoming its own separate outside of show business world? What do you think it was? I think it was specifically the Seinfeld English Patient episode. Really? (laughs) I mean, the mid-90s maybe feels around the time where, I mean, I don't know. We weren't around in the 40s. Maybe everyone was like, uh, gentlemen's agreement? Really? Yeah. (laughs) But I don't know. I, I feel like in our lifetime, there is always a best picture backlash. Uh, yeah. Because so many people wait to see the film until it's won, and then they're like, "I didn't get it. I don't get the big deal." Yeah, and I think like the the Harvey Weinstein, you know, campaigning only more horrific in retrospect 
know, right. somebody knew he was a jerk then, but like, uh, but actually a, uh, a criminal jerk, but of like the amount of once we knew that there was an icky kind of politicking going on, you know, behind the scenes. And I think as the voting body got older and more out of touch, you know, there were probably some more egregious choices for a while. But I think I would like to debunk the idea that the best picture winner always sucks. Because clearly that that's been not the case. Ones. Sure. There have yeah. been some great ones. Look at the best picture winners. You got the Godfather. Uh and then a bunch of others. No, you got you the got Godfather Citizen. Part two. No, you don't have <laughs> you got the shot. No, you got you got pulp. No, you oh. <laughs> but you yeah. have Casablanca and you have uh Schindler's List and you have Annie Hall and Godfather Two and Return of the King, Parasite, uh recently, everything everywhere all at once. Like it more often than not is if not the best picture of the year, it's a top five movie for the year. And the, yeah. that's a, a pretty good batting percentage, I think. Well, I appreciate yeah. you saying that too, because I think on this show, a lot of times we, uh, we try to look at the best of things and not the worst of things. We are doing a worst of episode. So it is important, I think, to bear in mind that these movies are generally, uh, Oscar winners are generally pretty good. In my mind, there are two ways to attack this. You were about to say before we started recording. So I want to see if I'm, mm. if we're on the same wavelength. There are two yes. different ways to interpret this. One is, did a bad movie win best picture? So of these, which is the worst movie to win best picture? But there's, I think there's, there's a 95 contenders as of this recording. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's about to be another one in a couple of weeks. So there's a finite amount to look at. Yeah. And then, which is, and then, which is the worst? It's a simple, it's a simple question. Which is the right. worst of those 95? But I think the more interesting way to look at it is there are obviously you make a good point, which is by and large, your best picture winner is going to be among the top five and now the top 10 movies of the year by different metrics, by reception from critics, by box office, by just the general artistry of the film being made. But I think there are years here, and there were some that really popped out at me as I was looking at not only the winners, but the other films nominated, where you look at it and go, they got it wrong. This was not the best picture this year. And my just to throw one out there, and I don't think this will win. I feel like I'm in the minority here. I think Titanic winning the year it did was a mistake. I think it what else there was, was a year? there was a fever in nineteen ninety seven around that film. It was number one forever. Looking at it, number one, I think there was a better film to take its place in that category, which is Boogie Nights. It did not get a Best Picture nomination because there were only five at the time. But I think LA Confidential was the best movie of that year. And it only I think the only it might have taken screenplay and I know Kim Basinger won Best Supporting Actress. But that, to me, would be an example of the wrong film won egregiously. You know, there's there are egregious examples of films where you go, how did that not win? Is that the other way? Are those the two ways you were thinking, Craig? Absolutely. Like the worst choice that the Academy has ever made, which I would say is the biggest gulf between the winner and then the thing that we feel should have won. Mm-hmm. But that's a little trickier. You know, the, you, some of the egregious ones that are often brought up is like Dances with Wolves over Goodfellas. Yeah, right. Goodfellas is the better picture. I kind of have a soft spot for Dances with Wolves. I don't think it's a bad movie at all. Yeah. You've got Driving Miss Daisy winning in the year of Do the Right Thing, which especially because both movies concern racism looks especially egregious in retrospect. However, Do the Right Thing not even nominated. So yeah. I think we have to then only consider the nominated films because – 
the more film history moves forward, the more you can look at any year and say, actually, the best picture was this, but nobody thought that at the time, and it was nowhere near contention. Like Boogie Nights, you know, you got some nominations, got acting nominations, but uh, and probably writing as well. But the, it was way too risky for it to be a best picture contender at the time. So I think we'd have to compare the winner against the potential nominees and then see where the widest gulf is. Yeah. Let me pitch this to you guys then, because I, uh, I'm coming into this looking at both movies that are bad, sometimes, uh, retrospectively bad and some movies that were just, you know, in weak years and also looking at that question of where the widest gulf is between the movie that should have won and the movie that did. So let me propose this idea to you. I have divided these up. Uh, it's interesting that that's what keeps coming up because that is the largest of the categories. I propose this. We'll take a break in the middle of the episode. The first half of the episode, we will look at movies that may or may not be considered objectively bad. And those fall into, I think, three categories. The relics, the overhyped, and the white saviors. Then on the second half, we can take a look at the robbers. And I've got a list of six here. Uh, and I'm sure that we can take a look at more than that. And then we'll see what if one comes out of the robbers and then one comes out of the first half. Maybe we look at those two against one another. How does that sound? Yeah, I like that. Great. So what do you guys want to start with? If we're going to do the first half, we've got the relics, the white saviors and the overhyped. I also want to throw this out there. Have uh, the two of you please. seen all 95 best picture winners? We have no. not. I've seen a good number of them. Yeah, like especially good, good the older ones I haven't seen. I've seen more recent ones. I've seen a bunch of the middle, like 60s, 70s, like somewhere in there. I have a lot of coverage. You've seen I've everyone. done dives into uh, into chunks of each of them to try and get an exemplary sample for uh, purposes of viewing this. But we are really banking <laughs> on your knowledge here, Craig. Have you seen this movie? I've done dives into chunks. Yeah. Listen, man, <laughs> we've all done dives into chunks. We've all Some done dives chunks. into chunks. We've, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> I, as I said, big Oscar nerd. Have I seen all 95 best picture winners? I sure have. Have I yes. ranked all 95 best picture winners in preferential sure order? Have. I sure have done that. So I can tell you right now that the worst picture is the Broadway Melody, 1929. That, but does that is feel a perfect place to stop. Does that feel fair? <laughs> it does not feel <laughs> fair. Here's the thing. It's like saying the worst, the worst artist in this gallery is this four year old. Let's do well that okay, so that one falls under the relics. I've got two movies under the relics. 1929's okay. The Broadway Melody and 1931's Cimarron. The Broadway Melody, that was one that I actually I did one of those dive into the chunks of. So I dove into the chunks of the Broadway Melody, uh, including the opening, which I loved. They played George M. Cohan's Give My Regards to Broadway as the opening number during the credits of that movie, and then Every song after it was bad. Like that song was already a hit. And then the rest of the songs in that movie are not good. And also the movie begins with just a cacophony of it's a, it's a building where it's a music publishing house. And the first five minutes of that movie are just four different songs being played simultaneously. I can't believe that's how a movie begins. Well, if you look at the first two winners of uh, in Oscar history, you have Wings the very first year, which was the only silent film until The Artist uh, much later, which we can debate you know, whether that was a silent film 
or not. Yeah. But you would imagine after, you know, 30 years of making silent films that by 1928, they were pretty good at it. And Wings, hey, do I want to dive into a two and a half hour silent film that often? No. But when I watch Wings, I'm like, this holds up pretty well. Like yeah. it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's exciting. It's got great real aerial photography of like for 1928, this is where movies were and that they could make a pretty darn good silent film. And then the first year of the talkies, 1929, it's, and there's immediate dip in these early years of talkies. Nearly yeah. every ranked list of best picture winners I've seen contains three of the five at the bottom, including my list, are Cimarron, as you mentioned, Cavalcade, which is 1933, and yeah. the Broadway Melody. So I think, but again, it feels so unfair because they didn't know how to make talky movies yeah. yet. Uh, the musicals. Broadway Melody this was is just a mess. Or musicals. It's a mess. Yeah. It's a mess. And yeah. Cavalcade is like the stodgiest. It's like it's an old coward play. Like there's very little camera movement it's just like somebody put a camera in front of people doing a play right and that's the era we're in of films is they're adapting shows both plays and musicals and putting them up on screen yeah because oh well this is something that people which we already know people talk so let's just adapt this we'll show it to people and it's i mean notable obviously in that it gives access to people around the country who couldn't go to broadway to see these plays to, to actually watch them performed professionally. But yeah. it does feel like the only thing that maybe until you get to it happen one night, which is a very interesting film. I think the other thing to think about with all of these is their place in history. Like yeah. if I were to show the thing that struck me the first time I ever watched it happen one night was if I showed this to someone without them having any knowledge of the historical significance of this film, they would just think, well, this is just a formulaic romantic comedy, not realizing yeah. this is the film that established like every romantic comedy you have seen your entire life owes it's on the family tree that this is the root of. So that's a great winner. All Quiet on the Western Front is like this odd, amazing, deep film that snuck in number three. But, you know, by and large, a lot of the, you know, when you look at the things that are even nominated, there are so many adaptations of stage shows that goes into the 40s as well. There's just a lot of turkeys in those early years. Like I'd throw in yeah. Life of Emil Zola, Great Ziegfeld, you know, even like as much as I, I like Bing Crosby going my way is is not great. Like there's some stodgy ones back then. Yeah. yeah. Just some forgettable stuff. It seems like the Bing Crosby one in particular is just it's not bad. It's just forgettable. Um, I highly recommend going to uh, Variety. And checking out the contemporaneous variety review of Broadway Melody from 1929, because it was, I think this person was a theater critic. And boy, is it a hilarious dive into the pictures are coming for your theater jobs. They're putting theater on stage in movie houses <laughs> and they're doing it. Poorly. Now, why would you go see a musical on Broadway for 440 when you can watch a movie at the Cineplex for 75 cents? And you know what? That seemed to be an early canary in uh, all kinds of coal mines. Let's jump ahead to the other relic on this list, and that's Cimarron, which is on there. It's a West, the first Western to win 1931, and it was problematic in that it's over the top. It's got everything going for it. It was very expensive and overhyped. The acting is hilariously over the top. It's the story of a man who badgers his wife into joining him in Oklahoma and then leaves her repeatedly over the course of 40 years. And every race is depicted terribly in this except white people. <laughs> what a surprise. Yeah. I mean, holy moly, this movie. 
I'd say um, save yourself two hours and watch the Drunk History episode on the Oklahoma land rush because we, we covered it. Done. <laughs> yeah, way better. So out of all of these that we've discussed, do you take Cimarron because it's the most offensive? Or do you go just – because it's one thing to be bad, which, you know, it's bad. But it's also monumentally racist, which is something yeah. we will find is a problem just in the last five to ten years. Yeah, we got so, a few of those. Because we have a whole separate category mm-hmm. of yeah. uh, of white savior narratives, I think uh, Cimarron is maybe not even the worst of those, and that's covered. Yeah. I My inclination is to vote for Broadway Melody because I do have yeah. it worst on my list, and yeah. uh, it, that seems to be the consensus uh, that, yeah. that it's the worst one to win. However, it does feel like beaten up on a four-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> that's well, right. That- Four-year-old shouldn't have wandered into the bar. Yeah, get out. Guess what? Get out of this bar, four-year-old. Right. This ain't for you. Yeah, this is for ninety-five-year-olds, not ninety-five-year-olds. People who are ninety-five, like the Oscars. Uh, let's jump to the white saviors. I've got three on this list: Green Book, Crash, and Driving Miss Daisy. Though Crash isn't really a white savior unless you count Paul Haggis as the self-designed theme bludgeoning white savior of this idea. What do you guys think? Uh, I you know. We are three white guys talking about this, by the way. We are three white guys. Yes, the white. I do not mind driving Miss Daisy. I was very happy when it won in 1989. It's it's a stage play. It's still done fairly frequently. James Earl Jones did it on Broadway not too long ago. You know, it's a small story, and it you know was very much based on this guy, the playwright's own mother. So I. I don't know. I feel like it's been unfairly lumped in with some of the worst important Hollywood movies about race because yeah. it really is just like a really small two-hander of yeah. a movie. I, I think the performances are good. Again, is it especially embarrassing that it won in the year of Do the Right Thing, which uh had a much more modern and vibrant and important and funny and heartbreaking take on race uh yes that's especially egregious so it looks like a really wrong-headed decision by the academy and even like i i forget what else was up that year but uh but dead poet society they could have gone for that or uh field of dreams i left foot the july i mean so this one really ought to be in that category of the robbers Uh, Mm. you know it's a pretty wide gap i agree with craig i think it is a small story it's really not about – she doesn't save him. Really, he saves her. It's about their relationship to one another, and it's set in a time where obviously he's going to be discriminated against heavily because he's black. But she is mm. also discriminated against heavily because she's Jewish. So there's a you know there's a bombing yeah. at the synagogue. Like These are things that were happening in the American South and all over at this time. So it it, it does feel weird. And there's something in, you know, like the oft imitated performance of Morgan Freeman, which is a brilliant performance that makes it feel super yeah. stereotypical. But he's playing a a he's not playing a stereotype character. I don't think. I think he's playing a three dimensional human being, and yeah. just the voice I think clues people in and goes, "Look, that's intensely racist." Without maybe digging into it more. But this is the time. Where Spike Lee, Do the Right Thing doesn't get nominated. Malcolm X doesn't get nominated a few years later. He was shut out by the Academy for for way, way, way too long. They've only recently started to – I mean he has what? He has two Oscars now, I think. But uh, you know, it took forever for him to be recognized. It took a social movement, which you know, you would rather that not be the case. But better that than it never happened and it just remain 
Oscar so white forever. So this is, you know, it's tough to, you know, like, like Craig said, we're not going to blame stuff that didn't make it in. We can't blame it for taking the spot of something yeah. that never got nominated, even though it's a crime that film wasn't nominated. You can't go off of, you know, nobody, I've never seen anybody go, we didn't deserve this. Here, you take it, except when it's mistakenly given to your film. And even then, it's gladly <laughs> handed over because you do not yeah. want to be the person who stole the Oscar from Moonlight. <laughs> what about Green Book? I should, by the way, I was going to say I should change this. To, it shouldn't be the white savior. It should be the whitewashing. Cause I guess there's, mm. uh, that seems more broadly accurate, I suppose. But, uh, Green Book definitely is white savior. And I think Hollywood just has a tradition of like self-congratulatory important movies about important topics. You know, yeah. Gentleman's yeah. Agreement is low on my list as well, you know, which is about anti-Semitism. Uh, that is Gregory, uh, Gregory Peck. Peck doing, uh, going undercover as a, as a Jew. Yeah. Like it's funky and, and poorly handled and Hollywood is really patting itself on the back for it. Yeah. Man, I really, uh, Green Book and Crash are top contenders. Well, I think Green Book is particularly tough in this because you mentioned Hollywood likes to take important stories and do its Hollywood version of important stories. And normally it's if it's fiction, it's no harm, no foul. But Green Book, not necessarily no harm, no foul, but less harm, less foul than Green Book, which was ostensibly a true story. And then the family of the musician uh, that Mahershala Ali played. Paul Shirley's family was like, this is not true. Like the whole notion of making this movie from one point of view and then it being like, uh, then then it just the family of the true story not being down with this movie winning Best Picture, not being down with this movie being made. You know what I mean? That feels like a particularly egregious crime in this regard. In terms of a movie... I just rewatched it recently. Just put it on and watch it just to see like, all right, let's see this again. Mm. And I remember enjoying it. Like for what it is, it's fine. It is Mm -hmm. in terms of hitting every base it's supposed to for the movie that it is. It does very well. Mahershala Ali is brilliant in it. He's he's so good. Viggo Mortensen is a lot of fun. It doesn't feel like this is one that definitely you, Craig, you were talking about like the Oscars patting themselves on the back. That basically like this film solved racism. Yeah. And it's obviously wholly inaccurate. It didn't deserve to win Best Picture. If you watch it with the idea of like, I'm watching a white fantasy, then you yeah. go, okay, it's fine for what it is. It is not a Best Picture winner. Like, just not. It's insane to me that it won. Insane. The nature of the movie itself, like Crash may have been clunky and heavy handed, but I think it was made in good faith. It feels like Green Book was not made in good faith. What do you think, Craig? Think so? How was it not made in good faith? I think yeah. they thought it's, they were. It's, it's not the true story of what happened. If the guy that wrote it knew it wasn't the true story, if the people making it knew it wasn't the true story, if the family had said this isn't the true story in the course of while the movie was being made, which apparently mm. happened. You know what I mean? That That's also a Hollywood tradition with biopics of like they make stuff up all the time. Yeah, I guess you know it's never the real story of what happened to the person. I don't know. This this is a a tough one choosing between these two undeserving winners. Uh, I do. I agree with Al that Mahershala Ali is fantastic in it. You know, he had already gotten an Oscar, so I don't know if he deserved a second one for this. But of like, he's wonderful. In the he's role, really, like yeah, he, he's, I agree. he's doing his best, you know, Vigo's doing a little forget about thing, you know, yeah. and like the 
the vibe that the two of them have is entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, of all the recent winners, you know, as I said, as somebody who will frequently defend the Academy, this was the one that blew my mind the most. I'm like, how could you do this in 2018? Because yeah. it is driving Miss Daisy all over again. And, you know, supposedly they had, you know, updated the voting base. I think they've done a much better job in the years since this. But that that one really, I mean, this might be one of the top contenders for the other category, I think, uh, you know, because I would have gone for Alfonso Cuaron's Roma which is a yeah. masterpiece and and Quaron had won best director earlier in in and so it, it seemed like we were maybe heading for a Roma win and then when it went to the green book it just uh it, my heart just sunk you know because it was yeah. such a retrograde you know relic uh, of the past I did, you know, in compiling my my list, you know, knowing that I wasn't going to beat up on the early ones, I had kind of four contenders that were were in mind, and so I went to see of like what's streaming, and the only one that was streaming currently on on things that I pay for is uh, is Crash. So this might be a little recency, might be a little recency bias because I watched a sure. half hour of Crash earlier today, but man, is it bad? Yeah, it is. It is just straight up not good. It is the most heavy-handed script. It is the most inaccurate depiction of life in Los Angeles. There is nothing anybody is saying in there that a human being has ever said to another human being. And it wants you to know how important it is and how much it's thought about race and that this is what racism is, that people just say, you know, epithets at each other, you know, like yeah. right out of the gates. You know, there's a long speech by Ludacris about like, how can these people like look at us? Like they think we're gangbangers. They think we have guns but we do have guns and let's go carjack them right now of like oh you pulled out the rug for me there paul haggis you know and there's it's like mahershal lee there's good performances in this as well there's some fantastic actors in it so but in terms of like what feels like the most heavy-handed and self-important and self-congratulatory i think crash beats green book as worse yeah yeah. Well, so right now we're looking at the Broadway Melody and Crash Green Book. You're not off the hook yet because of Roma. You've now been launched into the <laughs> robbers category. Thank you. One more before we go to break, and that is the overhyped. This is movies that are big, huge budget movies that are just fine. And uh, the three <laughs> that I have on my list are The Greatest Show on Earth, Around the World in 80 Days, and Chicago. Are there any others you can think of that? Ooh. Oh, uh, yeah. Ooh, I, would put, I, I wouldn't. I think Chicago is really good. Look, I think Chicago's really good too, but I'm giving it, uh, I'm putting it up there because simply we talked about that being, uh, one of those Harvey Weinstein gross. It was just, mm-hmm. did it yeah, win but... just because it was on the list of, on Harvey Weinstein's list of hype this uh, movie up? I, well, he, you know, I mean, there's a great book called Oscar Wars. I'm sure you've read it, Craig. Or you are familiar with it. If not, you would love it. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know it. Um, you know, he was seeking out movies that he thought could, you know, he was targeting movies that he thought could win. Mm. He can't make people vote. He could certainly make them more visible, but I think Chicago was a worthy winner. I think maybe Shakespeare in Love is the more questionable one because it was going up against Saving Private Ryan, but they split that down the middle because Mm. you could have, the best director could have gone either way. Best picture could have gone either way. So they split them in half. And each one was the consolation prize for either the director or the producers of the film. 
So right. I think Chicago, if I'm remembering right, kind of reinvigorated the sort of like Dances with Wolves. It I brought musicals back. It brought musicals back. Dances with Wolves brought back the epic Western. Yeah. So I think it's notable for that reason. I don't think it's... Look, man, I love Chicago. I'm just... This is the list that I'm compiling based on going online, reading reviews, doing this, you know... Right. When mm, I think about... Trying to trying to look objectively, because subjectively, I loved it and I love a musical. When I think about overhyped, I think about Titanic simply for the reason that there is a better movie about the sinking of the Titanic out there, and it's 1954's uh, Night to Remember. Yeah. That is a vastly superior movie about the Titanic. The fact that he chose to create a fictional story about a ship full of really interesting actual stories that he shunts to the side to make the most generic love story possible. But you add My Heart Will Go On to that. You put Leonardo DiCaprio in it at the height of his Tiger Beat cuteness and Kate yeah. Winslet, and who are both fantastic i mean the cast is practically untouchable for how good all of them are i mean kathy bates is the unsinkable molly brown is maybe the best piece of casting in that movie but on a whole everything that is great about that movie happens outside of the main plot and that to me makes it a way overhyped movie craig how do you feel about that i don't know if we've ever talked about this before First of all, I was shocked with gags, including Chicago as a, as uh-huh. a sworn musical theater. I think Chicago is yeah. great. Like that, that was a, a shocking inclusion. I, I, yeah. I haven't heard that much hate for it. So maybe I'm looking the, the wrong places yet. But the thing is, guys, Titanic was never not going to win that year. It was yeah. a humongous, humongous movie. Uh, it was such a crowd pleaser. Like that's so rare that the number one box office movie also is just like the consensus pick. I mean, it's James Cameron. It's overlong. It's overwrought. It's mm-hmm. really cheesy in places, but especially I think for people a little younger than us, you know, if you were in high school, you know, when Titanic came out, there's people that where it hits them in the fields and, and all, you know, so that might be a, a generational thing. Yeah, it's not one of my favorites. There's some other epics from the 80s that would be in this category. I think like Gandhi, Out of Africa, The Last Emperor. I think people would throw The English Patient in there as well. I will always oh, stick yeah. up for The English Patient, but yeah. is it slow? Is it long? Is it ponderous? Does it feel really important and uh, and meaningful at all times? Yes, it does. So I think that's why that Seinfeld episode was so effective, I think, because The English Patient is the kind of movie that the average person is not seeing until they feel pressured. Uh, I guess I got to see the best picture winner. And so and then they're they're bored out of their school <laughs> by it. But I saw it early, early on. And, you know, I, I think it's a, a beautiful movie, so I'm, I'm not going to beat up on it. But I understand, like, how something like that fits the category Mm -hmm. of those i think the worst is around the world in 80 days yeah why is that it is from you know the 50s is when the studios were starting to compete with television a little bit and this is when you're you're introducing cinerama and cinemascope and uh you know, a lot of big budget musicals and Cecil B. DeMille epics like uh, A Greatest Show on Earth and Around the World in 80 Days is three hours long and it's nothing but every star in Hollywood showing up in a cameo. And it's yeah. like, there's Sinatra. <laughs> That's pretty much all it is of like, it's not funny. It's really boring and it never. <laughs> it's just showing that it's better than television. It's interesting right. that you mentioned, uh, we've got, we've got now two movies that are using new technology 
that win Best Picture in a time when they are using new technology. But if you strip away the novelty of that tech, then it's not a good movie. You know what I mean? Like Broadway Melody, if you strip away the fact that it's the first fully talky musical, you're like, okay, well, it was doing that. That was the technology it had. What did it do with it? What it could. Around the World in 80 Days, it's Cinerama or Cinemascope. And it's, what are they doing with that? Well, they're doing everything they can. They're throwing everything at it. And then you go, well, now we have these huge, epic, sweeping movies all the time. So that's not the novelty, the story, the acting, the everything, all the elements coming together. That's the thing. And yeah, if, uh, around, around the world in 80 days, I'm very happy with that one being there. I actually didn't dislike Greatest Show on Earth because I'm a fan of both Emmett Kelly and Lou Jacobs. And the fact that those two clowns were in that movie. Yeah. To me, that, that those clowns like, were great. Those clowns were great. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart, that the plot of that movie is bonkers. That you know you wouldn't be suspicious of knowing that there was a murderer on the loose and also that there was a clown in your troop that never took his makeup off. <laughs> that doesn't seem a little shady. Yeah, I I had heard for years that that was one of the the worst winners, and so I was you know you're always grading everything on a curve. So there's some yeah. that I was like puzzly surprised, like eh, it wasn't that bad. And yeah. so I I agree with you on greatest show on earth. It's like it's clearly in the the bottom third of winners, but yeah. it, it's not one of the worst. No, but it's yeah. uh it's Technicolor footage of Ringling Brothers Circus in the mid twentieth century. Yeah. So it's as a time capsule, it's something anyways and if you saw the fablemans the fablemans that was the movie that inspired yeah. spielberg that's right you he was recreating the train crash before we go to break yeah so so far we have a broadway melody crashing around the world in 80 days those are all yeah. finalists craig i'm just curious which decade and we haven't completed the 2020s yet which decade do you think got it right the most where you look at it and go these are almost Ooh. all of them are good winners i have an answer i'm curious what yours is Ooh. Um. There are, you know, when I was looking for picks, like I thought again of like, I don't want to beat up on the early ones. Like let's pick something from our lifetime probably. But as I started looking at the sixties, seventies and nineties, like there were too many bad choices. Mm-mm. You know, there yeah. was somewhere that they bypassed a better movie, but I don't see many bad movies there. Like the worst one I had in the nineties is Braveheart, which I don't think is a bad movie at, at all. No, um, it's Mel Gibson's. So that's points, points against. Yeah. Um, that's a issue. But I, so, so I think the nineties has a pretty stacked lineup. Uh, and of course the seventies is like the decade, uh, for American film. I think I had Patton as my worst one from the seventies, you know, cause it's a little fascist, you know, yeah. yep. it's, uh, it's John Milius. I will also, you know, uh, Hal, uh, will hate this, but I think Rocky is an overrated film. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, would you it, pick that that year? Would you pick Network, Taxi Driver? I would gone with Taxi Driver. Uh, yeah. I think, but you've also got all the presidents men in in Network. You know, is Rocky bad? Yeah. No, it's a yeah. it's a really charming. You know, it's it's the little indie that could really like it's it's one yeah. of the more shocking upset winners uh, ever. Yeah. You know, but I don't know. It's so mumbly. <laughs> yeah, it is. I it is a very, it's mumblecore. very mumbly movie. Like it's very mumblecore. Is, it's it's early mumblecore. Yeah, but it's uplifting. It's a great uplifting story. Yeah, it's not Million Dollar sure. Baby, which it's, is just sad. Rocky. 
again, I am very much in the, it's like, uh, it's like you with Titanic. Like, uh, yeah. I hate to be the person to, to badmouth the movie that, that's so treasured by so many people, oh, sure. but I also yeah. came to it late. I think I was in college and like was a real film snob. I'm like, oh, this yeah. is good. <laughs> yeah. You came to it at the wrong time, but it also shares with Titanic that it was the movie of its moment more so uh, than any of the other movies, which are all, I mean, you know, there are no bad ones in that, in that collection. So yeah, but what were you thinking? Seventies or nineties? Seventies by far. Just yeah, I think it's the seventies. They, mm. They're almost yeah, almost yeah. everyone's a banger. So mm. it's it's hard. The nineties are also good. The forty like there's just they're crazy eras. But I think the seventies as a whole is a decade. I look at it and go like, yeah. all right, yep, okay, good one two. And the ones that don't win, you know, you have the Godfather Part Two, the same year as Chinatown and the Conversation. Like they're just. There's so many good movies. Just that's one of those times where the changing of the guard was happening. So you had all these fresh voices and then like, like George Harrison's first album after the Beatles, like just everything comes pouring out and it's brilliant. One of the many things that I rank is the, the best years overall. And my top two years for the, the overall pool of nominees are 75 and 74. So yep. 75, you have one flew of the cuckoo's nest, the winner, but you've got Jaws. Dog Day Afternoon, Nashville, and then Barry Lyndon, which is kind of a divisive Kubrick film, but I happen to, to like it. But like, it's, it's unbelievable how much they got it right back then and how many good movies were being made. Yeah. Well, when we come back from our break, we're going to talk about the times they definitely got it wrong. And, uh, we are going to come away with the worst best picture Oscar winner of all time that is coming up after the break. Coming up after the break, Worst Best Picture Oscar Winner, here on the Maximum Fun Network. I'm Emily Fleming. And I'm Jordan Morris. We're real comedy writers. And real friends. And real cheapskates. We say, why subscribe to expensive streaming services when you can stream tons of insane movies online for free? Yeah, as long as you're fine with 25 randomly inserted, super loud car insurance commercials. On our podcast, Free With Ads, we review streaming movies from the darkest corner of the Internet's bargain bin. From the good to the weird to the holy, look at Van Damme's big old butt. Free with ads, a free podcast about free movies that's worth the price of admission. Every Tuesday on MaximumFun.org or your favorite pod spot. Hello, everyone out there. Thank you for coming to our service. Yes. We are ready to heal you. you. We are Ross and Carrie. We are faith healers. Yes, Yes, you there. Yes, sir. You have a spirit of... Not listening to enough podcasts. We have the solution for that. Oh, we can cure you. You should listen to Oh No, Ross and Carrie. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. It's on Maximum Fun. I couldn't have said it better myself. Yes, ma'am. Yes, you there. Gladys. Spirit of boredom? Oh my goodness, we have the solution for you. It is to listen to the podcast. Oh, oh no, no, Ross, Ross and, and Carrie. This is Mark Gagliardi's 507th episode of We Got This. It's probably a lot more than that, right? How many? No, we're, 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 we haven't hit 500 yet. We we're about to hit we'll 500. Hit five, okay. I think in the fall we'll hit 500, yeah. Amazing. But why not? <laughs> All right. We have talked about 
that first interpretation of worst best picture winners, which is the movies that are just not that great. Now let's go on to the robbers. This is movies that are good, but there were other movies that year that were better for this one. You guys just want to throw some out because I've got a few. I know that you guys have got a few. Craig, you want to go first? I've already submitted green book over Roma. So I'd like, like that to be in the mix. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I think another famous one is How Green Is My Valley over Citizen Kane. Sure. Sure. That's the biggest one of all time. Uh, how is How Green Is My Valley? I've yeah. not seen it. Well, it's a John Ford movie about Welsh coal miners. And it's, it's about as exciting as that sounds. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It's like, it's, it's not revolutionizing the, uh, the art form. Like Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane, another, you know, when we covered this on the, the Craigslist podcast, you know, it, it's amazing. Like it's a funny movie. It's an entertaining movie. It's exciting, you know, in addition to all of the technical breakthroughs that it did. So just with the Oscar backlash, I think it's one of those movies that has like the greatest movie of all time backlash of like, and people see it and they're like, yeah, it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, it, it really is like an incredibly entertaining movie in addition to being groundbreaking. So, so I think that counts for a lot, but I don't think anyone seriously thought it was going to win then. Like the, the backlash against it in Hollywood and against Wells had already started, you know, so I don't, I don't know enough to know if how green was my valley was considered an upset over like what else might have won, but I don't think anybody any actually went into that ceremony thinking that Wells would win actor, director, or picture. Was this a fear of Hearst thing at that point? Was it was that what was happening? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He spread all of the the bad press about it. And I, I think there was pressure among the the voters to to not go for uh yeah. for Wells there. And there was just backlash again. You know, he was an arrogant guy who didn't make a lot of friends also. So there was a huge backlash uh against him. John Ford, I believe, won for best director Oscars more than anybody else. So like he was fine. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think you can skip how green is my valley. You know, it, uh, you won't hate it if you see it, but it, you won't remember much about it as I have not remembered much about it. Well, let me ask you this then, because uh, the thing that I've latched onto that I love about looking at it from this angle is that gulf, the gulf between what won and what should have won. And I'm wondering if I'm way off base, let me know. Should we try to find a quantifiable way, whether it is a number one to 10, a letter grade A through F to quantify the gulf? Cause we're going to have to make some decisions coming up here. I think that, uh, quantifying that gulf might be a good way to look at this particular section of that. And I wonder if, if it's not a, not a terribly high version of the gulf, uh, because that movie is good, but Citizen Kane is so great. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how to quantify it necessarily. I have also two more submissions, which I think were, uh, ones that you guys might agree with as well, which is, and again, I'm like, this is just totally in retrospect of like, what is an all time film? It might not have really had a chance to win on the day. Uh, right. but if it was nominated, so here's two movies that were nominated for best picture. Uh, I don't know how close they actually were, but is Raiders of the Lost Ark better than Chariots of Fire, guys? That was yes. the first one I was going to throw out there. Yes. And yeah. is E.T. slightly better than Gandhi? 
Yeah. So I would submit Tootsie. those two Spielberg movies. I mean, you could go for Tootsie or E.T. Yeah. I like E.T. a little better. I love Tootsie, yeah. of course. Uh, the Verdict, also 82. The, those are three of my top 100 movies of all time. Yeah. And they went for Gandhi, the the far, you know, more traditional, long-ass, slow biopic yeah. choice. Chariots of Fire was a huge, like, upset at the time. Like, nobody thought it would win. I think Red's. The, the Beatty film was the, yeah. the front runner and maybe some people thought On Golden Pawn would win. I don't think Raiders really had a chance. The nomination was its victory. But uh-huh. in retrospect, I mean, come on. Raiders is a top 10 movie of all time and Chariots yeah. of Fire is pretty boring. The song's good. Well, the hey, theme, good song. Yeah. Slow motion running. Like it yeah. did give us a trope. It gave us the slow motion running to that song trope. <laughs> I'll throw out two. One, I don't know if the gap is great enough. That? Um, and that is Tom Jones. I'm not saying anything bad about Tom Jones, but sure. I, one of my favorite movies is Lilies of the Field. I think it is a beautiful movie, oh. fantastic movie, great, not early, but early to mid Cindy Poitier performance. Just like a great, again, like the Oscars generally don't favor small stories as much, mm. which is why things like Driving Miss Daisy, even Parasite, I think is a smaller story. It just has something bigger to say. But I would have liked to have seen that win. I don't know if the gap is great enough. That's one. I don't, am I like way off base here, Craig? No, I don't think so. Oh. Yeah, I think, I, yeah, I think that could be in the mix. Yeah. Another is just because I remember it's maybe one of the most notable robberies in Oscar history. And that's out of Africa winning over the color purple. Yeah. Mm. Cause that was, you know, there are a lot of, that was supposed to be Whoopi Goldberg's year. That movie was supposed to, I mean, it's again, a gut wrenching, great movie and everybody knows and everybody has seen and everybody holds in high regard the color purple there haven't been there's not been the out of africa musical and subsequent movie musical based on the original source material of the movie out of africa but there very recently has been for the color purple and that's a testament to the longevity of that story over a simple love story of meryl streep with an accent and robert redford with a rifle is this the first movie, now that the musical's been nominated, Craig, I figure you'll know this, the first time that two adaptations of the same work, so first you have the film Ooh. adaptation, then the adaptation of the Broadway musical of the movie, of the book. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an adaptation of the film. The first time it's been nominated, or the first that, time that it's a, been made? That an adaptation of an adaptation of a film has been nominated. Like, they both have been nominated for Best Picture, and neither one will win, sadly. I feel like it has happened, but I, yeah. I can't grab it off the top of my head. Mm. Would you count Romeo and Juliet to West Side Story? To No, that wouldn't be. <laughs> that's a stretch, but yeah, that's, that's a basically stretch. the that's same. That's a source material. The same stretch. story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm going to throw out, uh, I think it was 1994. Again, not a bad movie in the same way How Green Is My Valley. Not a bad movie. Forrest Gump is a great movie. I enjoyed it. I had a great time watching it. I thought that Tom Hanks was brilliant in it. I thought that the way that it covered the mid-20th century was brilliant. But it was up against the Shawshank Redemption and Pulp Fiction in that year. Or is that gulf wide enough between those two? Or is it just a stacked year? What do you guys think? I think Forrest Gump has had more backlash since than it actually had in the year. I don't think it had very much backlash at the time. I think like it's very kind of naive take on American history and yeah. maybe like the, the depiction 
of minority characters, you know, looks maybe a little more embarrassing in retrospect. Uh, but at the time, Forrest Gump was humongous, huge blockbuster, pretty beloved yeah. overall. My favorite nominee that year was actually Quiz Show, uh, the Redford movie. It was a blast, yeah. yeah. Love that movie, but of course, Shawshank and Pulp Fiction are all-timers as well. That might be like due to the collective weight. And Four Weddings and a Funeral, I think, is maybe also better than than Forrest Gump as well. Those are that was a pretty good group of nominees. Yeah. So and is is I don't know. of that one is would you put Forrest Gump as the f- number five on that list? I think it is out of those five movies. Really? So the Gulf maybe. might be the widest that it's not even the number two. It's not how green is my valley when was. the winner was the worst. The I'd say Forrest Gump's maybe better than Four Weddings, but, uh, but it's close. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's hard because I, I, I don't mind Forrest Gump at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, I love it, but I think Pulp Fiction was, Shawshank Redemption is amazing. I think Pulp Fiction is a masterpiece. Right. But I think that the thing, obviously the, the way it was shot and edited is one thing that made it stand out, but really it was Tarantino's dialogue. I mean, yeah. you, know, you get a good taste of it in True Romance, and then along comes and Reservoir Dogs, but then along comes Pulp Fiction, which, in addition to being his style of dialogue, is a massive hit. And then he wins the screenwriting Oscar. So I think yeah. that movie was like that. You know, sometimes you get that award. It's really like everything you did was good. We're giving you this one. Another movie is winning Best Picture. So it's not like that's it fair. wasn't recognized. Yeah, that's true. What is Spike Lee? Is well, Spike Lee's only one for screenplays, right? Is he won? He hasn't won Best Picture. Correct. No, he is not. Yeah. He's one for screenplays or editing. Or did he win a directing one? No, he did not win a directing one. I believe he won a screenplay for Black Klansman. Yes. Gotcha. Yes, he did. And he's got an honorary one, maybe? Yeah. I think so. He's I thought Chirac, or Chirac didn't win. No. No, that did not. Yeah. Chirac did not win. I love that script. <laughs> it's really good. It's Chicago. It's classic Greek. It's great. Anyway. Um, let me throw one more out there that I think is... I actually think it might fit into overhyped because I remember seeing it. I was excited to see it because mm. I, you know, I don't hate the triplets at all, but I think the shape of water is a really bizarre choice in the same year where you have call me by your name. You have Dunkirk, you have get out. I think get out and ladybird are both leaps beyond the shape of yes. water in terms of being a quality yeah. film. It's bizarre. It's just like why I don't know. I, I mean, I don't get it. I just, I never got it. This is another thing that happens with the Oscars that's at some point in a year, a film just like develops momentum for whatever reason and gets a push behind it. And it develops a narrative that this is the movie this year. And The Shape of Water is maybe the most bizarre example of it. Like Del Toro is so hit and miss as a a filmmaker. Like, are they always fascinating to look at? Is the design like crazy balls fantastic yes yeah that is just a weird weird movie especially as an oscar winner like i i just don't buy it it's part of that trio like that those three guys like the three great mexican auteurs have how many of the last 10 have they won like it was a wild run that those guys went on. I think in Yaratu is won twice for director, Quaron is won twice for director, and Del Toro won for director, and then Birdman and Shape of Water won Best Picture as well. So yeah. Yeah. Uh it's a pretty good track record. But yeah, that's that's a pretty good pick too, in terms of like the most bizarre choice, because all of those other movies are are way better than Shape of Water. 
Uh, Shape of Water is just so weird. Like it's it's it, it is one of the more mystifying choices. Though I didn't think it was a bad movie. It would just like it just didn't seem like an Oscar winner to me. Yeah. All right. Well, let's start whittling these down. Uh, here's what we're looking at right now. As far as the robbers go, but we've got 1994. Sorry, Forrest... Sorry, Mark. I got one more robber. Okay. I think the English patient is a robber. I think Fargo should have won the Oscar. Fargo should have won. I have that on the list. I forgot to mention. You almost like go back and like when you, if you're listing, if somebody was like, Hal, just throw out movies that have won best picture. I would definitely say Fargo at some point, completely forgetting that they lost to the hmm. English patient. Yeah. Well, and we've also there, there's another one I want to throw out too. If we're throwing extras out, and while we're on this uh, Spielberg kick, 1983 Raiders, 82 ET, let's go with Saving Private Ryan. What do you think about Shakespeare in Love beating Saving Private Ryan? I like Shakespeare in Love a lot. Yeah. Uh, I I think sh- uh, Ryan is good. I think it was a little overhyped that year. Yeah. I don't think that's an egregious. I don't think that's an egregious win. I don't think. Private Ryan is an all-timer. I think the Omaha Beach sequence is like unforgettable. I saw it on opening day and the film broke down and they had to oh, give wow. us our money back. I had to return a week later and see that Omaha Beach oh, sequence that again. Is, and that, that oh. scene is incredible. Yeah, it's yeah. Tough, it's a tough watch though. I mean, yeah, it is. I can't imagine. It's a it's a really tough watch. Oh. Uh, but that's the movie's a little little overlong. I think it's it is uh it is probably a top ten Spielberg. But that I I feel like it's a little overhyped. And I think Shakespeare in Love was again. It's got that Miramax push behind it, so that's a little gross as yeah. well. But that's a, it's a thoroughly charming movie. I don't know that yeah. that doesn't seem to be one of the bigger gulfs to me. Right. Yeah. And it's also like a flawless, it's pretty much a flawless film. I love Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. The, the fact that you can enjoy it, you can enjoy it at any level of theatrical literacy speaks mm-hmm. to how well made it is. Some of these are chocolate and vanilla. Sometimes it's not the movie you want because you have a very serious war film versus this beautiful period romance comedy. So they're not, they're just not the same movie. Right. And I think their quality level. Like, I think I disagree with Craig a little bit on Saving Private Ryan. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's really good. It's not one I revisit because it's such a difficult watch. But as soon as Spielberg won for Best Director, I was like, oh, they're going to give Shakespeare in Love Best Picture. I remember watching the Oscars. I might have even said it out loud because it was so clear. Those were the two movies that were just head and shoulders above everything else. Yeah. I'll throw out a few honorable mentions. You don't have to add to the list, but just okay. just to mention them. Going my way over Double Indemnity looks pretty uh, oh, yeah. pretty wrong headed in retrospect. Uh, Gladiator over Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, yes. and uh, I can't believe we haven't mentioned A Beautiful Mind, which, which is really not a great choice as well. well. What else was there that year? That was a pretty weak well, year. I mean, Fellowship of the Ring was the best movie by far, but I think there was always the perception that he would win for the third one, which which yeah. he did with Return of the King. But like the the gulf between A Beautiful Mind and Fellowship of the Ring is pretty big. Yeah, it feels like Gosford Park could have won, and that you would have gone, oh, that makes sense. That's a perfect, yeah, winner. that's a perfectly good winner to have. Very English, yeah. Robert Altman. Sure, yeah. yeah, good pedigree, witty. All right. So, uh, so what is, uh, what's sticking out as the biggest gulf that we're thinking about? Are there some that the gulf seems wider than others just off the top of your heads? The big or, ones or for there, me. Is there one rising to the top for you? 
The big ones for me are Green Book Roma, mm. How Green Was My Valley, Citizen Kane, and Chariots of Fire Raiders. Yeah, I I think uh, those are all really good choices. And I know, obviously, knowing the story of why Citizen Kane didn't win, that it's, mm. it's understandable. Like, you can understand the mechanics of what happened. But right. it is and has been for many years. And I know it goes in and out of the top spot. But it, it is widely enough considered the greatest film ever made that it is ridiculous that it walked away. I think they got the screenwriting Oscar. His co-writer did. And I know they fought over over the credit and, and hated Mank. one another. Yes. Mank, yeah. uh, he and Mank did not get <laughs> along. But I think the fact that it did win Best Picture is like patently. It is the biggest. It's the biggest whiff in Oscars history, I would say. Yeah. Did you guys ever see that movie, RKO 281? It's uh, Liam yeah. Schreiber. No, with Liam, Liam Schreiber is Wells. is Wells, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jim oh, Cromwell no. is, uh, I saw, is cursed. Um, Orson Wells and me, or me and Orson Wells, whatever the name of that. Movie I saw is. that as well. Yeah. yeah. That's a very charming movie. All right. So we're looking at Chariots of Fire over Raiders, Green Book over Roma, How Green is My Valley over Citizen Kane, and then The Relics, The Broadway Melody, Crashing Around the World in 80 Days. I'm going to say, based on this conversation, I would, I will throw this out there. It seems the ones that excited us the most and got us the most fired up away from crapping on the Broadway melody. Uh, aside from the Broadway melody being maybe objectively the worst of movie of these, it seems like the ones that got us fired up the most were Crash and Green Book. That fair to say? Can we whittle it down to those two? Or are we going to keep How Green Is My Valley and Chariots of Fire in the mix? I don't know. I think those are the bottom two. Those yeah. are the ones I came into today thinking about the most. Green Book and Crash, and Ooh. I'll take Broadway. Broadway Melody, you just skated through on this one. You are on notice. I don't know how you don't put my <laughs> how green was my valley in there, guys, because it's 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 the movie that won over Citizen Kane. It's so ridiculous. Like you, uh, all, it, it, for both of these other films, there were obvious choices that would have been better winners for mm-hmm. sure. But none of those are the greatest movie ever made. Well, I think you're right, Hal, that that's the biggest gulf. And Green Book already lost to Crash in the other category, so we know it can't (laughs) win overall. So I, I, it feels like the finalists should be Green Was My Valley versus, uh, versus Crash. Well, then, uh, let me ask this. Now I go back to the very beginning of this episode, and I think we have to determine what the question is. And, the question, as asked, was, what is the worst Best Picture Oscar winner? Now, do we play semantics in this and really make it about parsing those words out? Because it seems like How Green Was My Valley is not the winner is the noun, right? The noun is the winner. The movie itself is the winner. That means that we're talking about the movie that is the worst among these. It's not worst Best Picture decision. The decision, mm. it might be, it might be that the decision to not give Citizen Kane best picture over how green was my valley might, may very well be the worst best picture decision. But the question is, what's the worst best picture Oscar winner? That to me implies that it's asking about the movie itself. Now we've got Green Book in both of those categories as the movie itself is, I mean, aside from Mahershal Ali's performance and the other good performances in it, that it's, it is the, of the movies that we're talking about, that crash and how green was my valley might be the worst movie. What do you guys think? The noun I put the emphasis on is winner. That's what I mean. 
But but the winner is the movie. Any, the winner is not the decision to name it the winner. The thing about all the, the all these movies have in common is you look at them and you go, really? That yeah, one? Good point. That one won, and for different reasons. This one was really bad. This one is clearly white savior complex, and this one happened to win over the greatest movie ever made. Like, well, let me ask you guys this: they're then. all they all, are, and I'm not saying that way that way right. above the others, but. There, there's three egregious errors, either because the movie is bad or just absolutely the wrong choice, and yeah. history has proven it out. Well, let me ask you this then, uh, using the word really as the barometer of this. The, all of these movies make us go, really? Does one of them <laughs> stand out and make us go, really? I don't know if this could be a tiebreaker, but... Mm. I have pulled up the top quote from Crash and How Green Was My Valley. And if you would indulge me, I could, I can do a dramatic interpretation of the top yeah. speech from each movie. Please. And if you, I, I won't reveal which is which, but okay. Sure. Okay. See if we can get and, uh, and so, uh, if you'll allow me to do both speeches and then perhaps you could vote on <laughs> which, which feels like the worst speech. Please. Yes. Speech number one. Okay. Uh, how to do a Welsh accent. Um, you just gave away. No, no, not necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily. It's about every, it's about every ethnicity, every yeah. ethnicity in Los Angeles. Yeah. You don't think there are Welsh people out here, Mark? Look around. There's so many Welsh people. There could you know be the little whales. Yeah. <laughs> little whales. Yeah. Oh, it's so great there. Always cold. You've been lucky, Hugh. Lucky to suffer and lucky to spend these weary months in bed. For so God has given you a chance to make the spirit within yourself. And your father cleans his lamp to have good light. So keep clean your spirit by prayer, Hugh. And by prayer, I don't mean shouting, mumbling, and wallowing like a hog in religious sentiment. Prayer is only another name for good, clean, direct thinking. When you pray, think. Think well what you're saying. Make your thoughts into things that are solid. In that way, your prayer will have strength. And that strength will become a part of you, body, mind, and spirit. Mm. Okay, so that's number be two. Either movie. Speech mm -hmm. number, number two. It's the sense of touch. In any real city, you walk, you know, you brush past people, people bump into you. In LA, nobody touches you. We're always behind this metal and glass. I think we miss that touch so much. That we crash into each other just so we can feel something. Well, Hal, that is quite the list of nominees, I must say. But there can be only one winner. People of the world, if your movie's so bad that it can beat the movie that beat Citizen Kane, you know <laughs> it's the worst Academy Award winner. Did you hear speech number two? You couldn't even do it in a Welsh accent. That's I, like, it's just impossible. <laughs> if you tried, you would burst into flame. Shame, shame, shame on you, Academy voters. Shame. Isn't that the requirement? That's the official like phrase that you have to say within a month of moving to LA is like, you never see anybody. You're in your car all the time. <laughs> and that's also. We have to uh, crash into each other just to feel something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If it only had, oh, it's raining. We needed that. That would be the only thing that you could add that would uh. make it feel more authentically. <laughs> we needed that. Uh, uh, I don't want to take the 405. Uh, it's so bad. I was so prepared to go to the mat 
for how green was my valley. And then yeah. I think like three words into three words into that speech, I was like, yeah, there's just no way. There's just yeah. no way. Crash is the worst Bex picture winner. Asked and answered. Oh, ugh. I need to like take a freaking shower. Poor Don Cheadle has to say those words too. Don Cheadle, a great actor. Oh, great Don. Really Cheadle. an actor. Not yeah. an Oscar winner yet. Did he not Probably. win? I thought he won for Hotel Rwanda. Nominated yeah. for Hotel Rwanda. Yeah. Oh. Well, he should win. He's very good. And he's War Machine. He sure is. Yeah. How come he didn't win for Ocean's Eleven? That was such he's a brilliant. convincing British accent. Yeah, he was brilliant in that. Right. As his Cockney bomb maker. Wait, that wasn't a Welsh <laughs> accent? Why didn't he do that accent in Crash? Muck it up. <laughs> I also want to apologize to your Welsh listenership by the way both of you okay. craig apologizes yeah craig. i'll call paul freeman and tell him He's the only <laughs> welshman i know craig kakowski thank you for being here brother this was a lot of fun long overdue oh man what a what a blast you're the best yeah. what's going on right now where do you want people to find you or culver you? city i just i just moved i just moved to culver city oh you did after 13 years in atwater village my wife and I have relocated to the west side wow, of L.A. Wow, goodness. West side best. We literally just completed the move today in pouring rain. Wow. Like, it's been the rainiest week of the year in Los Angeles, the worst possible week to move. Tenth worst storm in L.A. history. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Uh, we'll be doing that category uh, in a couple of years, probably, oh my God. <laughs> um, if we're still here. Sure. Um, but yeah, Carl, I tried to convince Carla to uh, to let us move everything ourselves because I'm cheap and I'm so happy that we got movers because they just saved our lives uh, yeah. on the rainiest day. But yeah, that's uh, I'm I'm improvising uh, around town. I teach at the world's greatest improv school, which is it's called world's greatest improv school, WGIS gotcha. run by uh, Will Hines. So if you're looking to take a uh, improv class either in person or online, go to WGImprovSchool.com. Well, I highly recommend you take an improv class from Craig Kakowski because Hal and I have both done it. You have drilled us and it remains one of my great improv experiences was oh, yeah. Craig running us through the drills one day and just working us out harder than I've ever worked out in an improv setting. So you are, you're the goat, my friend. Thank you for coming on and talking Thank about you, brother. this stuff. We knew you'd be great. Yeah. And guess what? The experts have weighed in and this topic is closed, but there are many more topics to discuss. So please reach out to us via email at we got this podcast at gmail.com or you can go to our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash we got this podcast. Join the conversation there and every single day. Oh, they're playing right now. I'd like to thank producer Ken Plume. Uh, you can support him at patreon.com. Uh, Ken Plume. Uh, you, nobody does it alone. I'd like to thank researcher Kate McManus, graphic designer Ari Kelman, and uh, QA engineer Jen Alba. And I would also like to thank, uh, I would like to thank our musicians, Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman for our score and theme song, respectively. And I would like to thank you, the people of the world for giving ben us a plume made one of the greatest podcasts of all time <laughs> hey you're not gonna let me finish <laughs> you let me finish <laughs> uh to all those out there the people of the world i say thank you for letting us crash into you thank oh. you thank you thank you for how lovely i'm mark gagliardi for mark gagliardi i'm how lovely and don't worry everybody we, we got, got this. this we got this Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.